Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. As always, we are brought to you by the Vigit Sports Betting app. Download it using our promo code All-Stars. Bet fake coins, win real prizes. Download it today. Try and sneak in before their Super Bowl stakes uh, game kind of cuts off. Probably still have a couple of days left for that. Lot went down this week in sports. The NFL season finished up their regular season college football national championship. We're actually going to start there in college football. Last game of the year between Georgia and Alabama, a rematch of the SEC championship, which gave Bama the number one seed. They were able to take down Georgia in the at the end of the regular season. Georgia got a second chance to prove they were the best team, and they, by all means, took that chance and showed the world what they were really made of, defeating Alabama 33-18, to capped off by a pick six in what I believe was the last minute of the game off of Bryce Young. This is Georgia's first national championship since 1980. And as fans of the sport, we can all now take a sigh of relief as Alabama has not won yet another national championship. Georgia saves us from that. What, are, what were your thoughts on, on this year's national championship? Got to be honest, probably forgot it was on until the day of and getting reports on my phone that they're just kicking field goals, but caught the ending of it. Definitely an exciting game post first half and got to give Georgia credit. Stetson Bennett, the fourth former walk on and then scholar athlete. He was able to come back from, I don't know if you saw the highlight, but a pretty uh, disgusting call of a fumble mm-hmm. on one of the plays and you know was able to come out and just rattle off some points that put Georgia in a great spot and then defense came through to seal it at the end as a fan of the sport definitely rejoicing because you know we don't want to repeat winners all the time you know some level of dominance okay it's kind of cool but nah we don't want Bama winning my problem is though and this is as a you know a traditionalist worried about, you know, repeats, worried about history every year since like, I don't know, since Nick Saban came back to college, either Bill Belichick has won a Super Bowl, Tom Brady has won a Super Bowl or Nick Saban has won the championship. Now that Nick Saban has not won the championship, this opens the door for the other two and both of which are in the playoffs, which we'll get to at the end of the show. But yeah, a little scared about that, but hey, you know, rules are meant to be broken, and, you know, maybe this will be the year. Maybe, maybe. Who knows indeed, but we're, we're, one, we're one notch out of the way in terms of breaking that trend. Um, the, the one big note in terms of draft stock, the star wide receiver for Alabama, Williams, did leave the field in the second quarter, did not return to the game. Um, it is a situation to keep note of especially when your favorite team is on the draft board and looking for a receiver something the Steelers might be doing so let's hope for our sake that this guy falls a little bit um that's pretty much it though as the college football season now has come to a conclusion we'll start getting you guys ready for the draft when it gets a little bit closer and more mock drafts start to come out and such Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan is projected to be the number one overall pick at this point in time that's really all we know at this point. So like I said, we'll keep you updated when more information comes out. We're going to move into the world of basketball, the NBA season well underway, as we know. And what's been a very popular topic on this show is Ben Simmons, someone who hasn't played a single minute 
this season still gets brought up almost every single time we come together here. Um, this time, still, still no real traction in terms of trades, but the Sixers have announced they are potentially trying to pair uh, forward Tobias Harris in any deal with Ben Simmons. From what I, I've gathered, Sixers fans like Tobias Harris, but understand the monetary constraints he puts on the team. Um, as a Sixers fan, what, what are your thoughts on this, I guess, impacting, you know, trying to actually get something going in terms of a Ben Simmons trade? If it helps facilitate the trade, I'm all for it. Everyone, I think, can be in consensus that Tobias Harris is a good player. I think people would say he's overpaid, and that would be my thoughts on him. If he helps get a trade done, I'm all for it. But I wouldn't just jettison those two players in hopes of you know freeing up cap space. I don't think there's any real big free agent on the coming market that you're going to be able to sign without like a moment's hesitation. And to me, it screams three team trade. Kyle Kuzma tweeted today that how do you move $80 million? And well, you use the NBA trades, the online trade negotiator, of course, (laughs) but a third team is going to be involved. (sighs) You, Let's just say you can say your trade that makes me want to vomit first. Yeah, no, I'll so, get to what I think. So first of all, I was on Twitter either this morning or last night, and I saw this just ridiculous post from I think Brian Winhurst or something that was like, the the Timberwolves have offered the Sixers everything short of Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns for for Ben Simmons, and you know nothing has kind of come up. The Sixers have have declined it every every second. I'm just sitting here like, well, no crap, you're offering them pebbles for diamonds what like there's nobody on that Timberwolves roster except for those two players has any value so if you actually want Ben Simmons you offer them one of those two players at this point based off of what the Sixers already have you probably are offering Anthony Edwards the good news about that is it means because you're offering a younger player than Ben Simmons you probably don't really have to trade in very any in many very valuable picks um maybe some second round picks maybe a future first round pick down the line but if you're getting someone younger than Ben Simmons you don't have to trade draft picks in that scenario the Tobias Harris factor comes into play in this trade that I worked out because I don't think the six you know as, as most people would don't think the Sixers are going to be trading Harris and Simmons to the same team just based off of how much money is between those two players Tobias Harris is the highest paid 76er of all time um the, the trade I kind of conjured up in my head that I I believe helps all three teams you you kind of had different thoughts um but it was it was a trade between the Sixers the Knicks and the Timberwolves it sent um Anthony Edwards and Kemba Walker to the Sixers it sent Tobias Harris to the Knicks and it sent Ben Simmons to the Timberwolves there would need to be some other aspects of the trade just to make the money balance out um but I think Kemba kind of eases that a little bit because Kemba's also getting paid quite a bit of money to be a slightly underwhelming basketball player per his contract um you, you, you didn't look too lightly on this trade, though. I, I thought it really helped the Sixers, though, because it gives you, you know, a good point guard to pair with with Tyrese Maxey. And then it gives you that second rising star that may, may be a little bit worse than Tobias Harris right now, but is no question going to surpass him in the next year or two. Well, all right. First off, Kemba's getting paid like eight and a half million a year. He's getting paid nothing. Oh, it's not that bad. Okay, that's fair. No, the Thunder, when they got him, like, took on the entirety of his contract and the thunder. That's why they get draft picks for doing things like that. They're mentions. 
Anthony Edwards still Anthony Edwards, yeah, is a great player. You'd love to have him. I don't think the Timberwolves are par with him, and I think that means even for Ben Simmons. Like they're that type of franchise where they're not going to make any tough decisions. And honestly, why should they? I think they believe he's a pillar of the franchise, so nothing wrong with that. Uh, the Knicks would be happy to have Tobias Harris. They need another scorer, and you know Julius Randle can do a bit, but he's not how we say a sharpshooter. Evan Fournier can't do it consistently against his, unless it's against the Celtics. So it's true. The prospect I thought was interesting, and this wouldn't really th- you wouldn't throw in Tobias Harris unless you brought in a third team. Uh, just the Kings. The Kings apparently were very interested in Simmons and not just for trading like De'Aaron Fox and like some other people who I'd imagine would be Buddy Heald would be thrown there. There was thoughts that maybe Tyrese Halberton would be the centerpiece of it, which I kind of like that with Buddy Heald rather than De'Aaron Fox. My, my question becomes, um, do the Sixers have to give up a draft pick in this scenario? Because now you're asking the Kings to give up their most promising young prospect for a guy who, yes, is still young and getting better, but now has less trade value because of the issues he had off the court. And he can't shoot. Who's ben Simmons can't Simmons shoot. Simmons or? Harry Halliburton yeah. can shoot very well. I was going to I was <laughs> just wanted to make sure because I wanted to make sure I heard that right. So there's going to be a reaction to that. I think maybe picks would be involved but I don't think it would be more than a first round pick or like maybe two seconds, that, that type of thing. I, the King, I'm acting like the Kings are stupid. They're definitely, I mean, uh, yeah, let me actually, the Kings are a little incompetent, but they have un, some understanding of what they have. Tyrese Halliburton is definitely a, a pillar of what could be, but I also think they know that they just are in rebuilding hell. So maybe trying anything to just move on and be fresh wouldn't be too bad. Uh, would the Kings do it? I don't know. I w- probably wouldn't, at least getting rid of Halliburton, but who knows? Yeah, I'm, in, I'm intrigued, especially with the concept of Tobias Harris being brought into the trade picture. If someone on the Kings like Harrison Barnes might get brought up just salary-wise to kind of try and match. Also, he, he you make an ugly face, I, I but I think Harrison Barnes actually – even, even if he's off the bench, could actually do some good for the Sixers. I think he'd be a useful player for you guys. Harrison Martin gets a lot of crap. He's not a great player by any means, but he is, like, he gets these contracts because he does good things a lot of the time. He's just, he's not the best, but he is a very intelligent basketball player, and that's that's something that any team can use. You're not wrong. It's just the idea of losing, well, Ben Simmons at this point, like, he's worth something, but to us, he's not doing anything, so he's worthless. But then that's a downgrade from Tobias Harris. Like it's pretty. Well, that, that that's why I'm like you also bring in like Halliburton and Fox in this trade, or, or or one of them had a draft pick with Buddy Heald or something like that. Um, yeah, I I more so mean Barnes not as a centerpiece of the trade, but as a, a financial you know aid because of how much money the Sixers are going to have to try and unload. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. It, it's a slippery scenario, but I think you're starting to kind of see what pieces the Sixers would be willing to trade. I think Hal Burton is one with in conjunction with other people. That wouldn't be a straight up. Anthony Edwards, I think, is appeasing. I don't think the Timberwolves will do it. That also then throws you into the territory. Let's go back to the West Coast. Okay, the Lakers need to shake things up, as we talked about in other episodes. 
by the way, to anyone who thinks the Lakers are good because LeBron is doing well, and he's doing phenomenal for his phenomenal. age especially, let's not forget he's beating up on teams such as the Kings. He, he's also not beating up on them, and they're also playing their 10-day contract men all over. Like, I love LeBron, and LeBron is, do, is in no part at fault for the Lakers' struggles, but the Lakers suck right now. Right. Okay, just need to get that out there. Yeah. But that also brings into question, okay, you need a big offload, a big contract. Russell Westbrook is an idea. I don't know how I'd feel about it, but I think Westbrook in the Sixers system, I think it would be okay. It wouldn't be great. That's not winning a title, but I don't think it's terrible. I I think I think you need someone that does more because something that you're severely lacking, whether or not you have Ben Simmons or not, is you know the three point shot. That's you have Seth Curry because that's specifically what he does. You have a couple guys that do that, you know, specific, George Niang, that really that's what he does. But what if you had an all-around star that, you know, three-point shooting was in his repertoire? That's why I'm like, hold out for someone because, you know, someone like Damian Lillard, Trey Young might be a pipe dream, but I don't know. Ben Simmons, at some point, his trade value will take at least a slight U-turn because it, it has to go up at some point. People will remember how good of a basketball player he is and forget how petty of a bitch he is. Excuse me. Um, I, I don't know. I just feel, I hear Tyrese Halliburton and I'm like, man, this is worse than CJ McCollum. You're not wrong. I mean, the pipe dream is Damon Lillard, but that's what I mean where you package in some stuff. Like he old shoots threes. You have Halliburton. They're younger players. For, I mean, Halliburton especially. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a thought. I mean, Westbrook's older. He brings that veteran experience, that basketball point guard facilitation. I don't like that trade, but that's that's a thought. I mean, I, I would rather Halliburton than Westbrook just because he's young. Not Westbrook's the better point guard through and far beyond by now, mm-hmm. right now. But but Halliburton, you get you, you put him in the Sixer situation where his neck, you know, he's with Embiid, he's maybe with whatever other decent player you're able to bring over in this trade but maybe not Tobias Harris anymore. And you're now giving him a real chance to show what he's about in the NBA because he's a point guard. People like to forget that he's playing shooting guard so the Kings can get him playing time, but he played point guard his entire career at Iowa state dude can run an offense and he's six, five, six, six. That's still something towards an offense of what the Sixers are already running. Obviously Simmons is a little taller, but it's not that much changing up of what you're already doing that has to be done. So I, I don't mind Halliburton as much, but what Westbrook just doesn't, doesn't quite click as much as my mind. And again, it's just too too similar to Ben Simmons, which we already know just you know doesn't work quite well enough to win a championship. It will be something that'll be thrown out oh, though sure. once the Lakers we're, start looking to offload Westbrook. Yeah, we're, we're gonna hear, it's gonna happen. Yeah, we're gonna hear all about those rumors in the next month or two. The I mean, yeah, you have Damon Lillard who I mean, there's a thought considering what Chauncey Billups said about Kyrie Irving being what was that crap? I don't know. Yeah, Cha- Chauncey Billups, the head coach of the Portland Trailblazers, came out and said that Kyrie Irving is probably the most skilled point guard that he has ever seen play the position in the history of basketball. And I'm sitting there like, you have a generational talent in Damian Lillard as your starting point guard. And you're saying this about a guy who's played literally one game this year. Are you joking? Are you uh, Kyrie, in my opinion, has never for a second been a player that's better than Damian Lillard except for the fact that he literally came into the NBA before him. That's it. Handles, maybe. I mean, because Kyrie. Sure, just... Kyrie does have the best handles of all time. I'll give him that. But Dame's the better, more consistent shooter. He's the better leader. He's much better locker room presence. 
not even a question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I thought that was blasphemous, especially from the coach of Damian Lillard. Again, I think it's pretty unlikely that Portland trades him, but like if there ever was to be a rift formed, this would be the start of it. And this right here is Daryl Morey just paying Chauncey Billups to say something outlandish so that way he can land Damian Lillard. 100%. I hope that's the case. Another – this one's also kind of a pipe dream, but with the team struggling so much, I think it's more and more realistic. The Celtics and Jalen Brown – I like that more and more every day. That seems to be the most likely scenario at this point. The only, and I don't even know how much of a drawback you consider this if you're getting a player as good as Jalen Brown, but the only drawback I've really heard is that they are pretty persistent on wanting Matisse Thibel in this trade, which is someone Sixers fans have come to love because of his in, extremely intense and effective defense. But I, I ask you this, if, if trading Ben Simmons, especially for a player of the quality of Jalen Brown, comes down to Matisse Thibel, are you okay getting rid of him? You tell the Boston Celtics to kick rocks and say, here's a first-round pick that you gave us for Matisse Thibel. Give it back. I, if they want Matisse Thibel, they got to give up someone else, and that someone else is Marcus Smart. Yeah, yeah that, that has to be a useful player because because that's the dream, right? They get their, their point guard, shooting guard duo of Smart and Thibel. Simmons gets to play three. Tatum gets to play four. Big old Al Horford playing five or Time Lord playing five. That's that's a pretty good looking squad right there, um, especially because defensively, who's going to score on that team except for you know Joel Embiid in the paint? But I love the idea of Jalen Brown in Philly. I think you know it, what you just said reminds me a lot of when the Cavaliers a few years ago called the 76ers in regards uh, to TJ McConnell, and the Sixers simply hung up the phone. Um, I, I I think the Sixers are going to hesitate when it comes to Thibel. I think. If it's really, if it comes down to like Jalen Brown and Matisse Thibels in the trade or like Tyrese Halliburton or Russell Westbrook or one of these other guys we just mentioned, and, and it's really just Simmons or Simmons Harris, whatever, I think you have to really consider that because Jalen Brown, I don't think anybody wants to admit how good this guy is. He has been the best player on the Boston Celtics this year. That does in fact include Jason Tatum. You bring that, cal- that I'm all respect to Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid has never played with a player like Jalen Brown, a guy who can dominate on the ball that both sides of the ball to the effectiveness that Jalen Brown does. He does have some inconsistent nights and he isn't quite as good of a defender as, as Ben Simmons, but offensively that dude could in fact take the Sixers to the next level, especially if he is paired with a good solid point guard, whether that's Kemba, whether that's Maxi, whether that's somebody else, that's a really good team right there. Yeah. And with the way the Celtics have been performing this year, with Tatum and Brown kind of playing the same role, no one wants to admit it. At some point, there's going to be a breaking point where you have to decide. And simply, like, the Sixers could say, okay, we'll just we'll entertain some other stuff. Like, the Sixers need to part with Ben Simmons, but also I think they're in a position where they can kind of just be like, okay, you know, continue to suck. The Celtics had a treasure trove of assets and they refused to do anything with them and they have consistently gotten worse every year. Yep. So you have fun being mediocre, plain and simple. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you've made the conference finals a few of the last, you know, I think, what, two of the last four years, but no finals berths and the East is only getting, you know, the top of the East at least is only getting more and more competitive. Um, speaking of the top of the East and how competitive it's getting, the Chicago Bulls, have more or less stunned the world at this point. They're 26 and 11, first place 
in the Eastern Conference. People thought the addition of DeMar DeRozan was an odd fit, wasn't really going to work. And DeMar DeRozan is one of the top MVP candidates right now. He, he is leading all Eastern Conference guards and all-star votes, even though he hasn't really played guard yet this year. Um, the Bulls have taken the league by storm. Their offense is nearly unstoppable and their defense is doing, doing a, an admirable job. My question to you is how legit are the Chicago Bulls? Are they just off to a hot start? Are they a regular season team that's going to collapse in the playoffs? Or have they now put themselves in contention for the Eastern Conference? It really depends on your definition of legit and success. They will be, I think, a top four team in the East. Uh, in terms of what they'll do in the playoffs, I think – it really comes down to who they'll play, but I think that they could win their first round depending on who it is. But they're also susceptible to a first round upset. Yeah, especially yeah. I, I, I like what they've done. I just think, like Demar Derozan hitting back to back game winners, incredible. That that's awesome, and the guy has outperformed this year. But. Is that sustainable? And the answer simply is no, unless your name is LeBron James or Michael Jordan. And that's not to say, oh, yeah, they won't win games because they don't make game winners. But I tend to believe Vucevic in the playoffs isn't going to be great. Zach Levine will be his first time. Lonzo hasn't really been to the playoffs unless you count that bubble sort of like playoff thing that they kind of did. It'll be a new experience. The only guy really with playoff experience is Caruso. I mean, there's probably some veterans I'm forgetting about, but they're good. I like what they're doing, but in the short term, it's awesome. The long term, though, I see a few problems. That's just with DeRozan. Like he's getting older, and you know he will he will taper off. Uh, Nikola Vucevic, plain and simple, he's getting up there too. I think he's he's in his 30s, but it's going to slowly start to kind of decline. There's there's promise in Chicago, but I don't I wouldn't tell people to get ahead of them and just like they're gonna win the title. They have to get through some tough teams in the East. They will easily make the playoffs. I think they'll be in the upper half of it or like five maybe. But they're red hot. They're doing well. It's I don't think it's gonna be sustained. But I see their ceiling as their ceiling is getting to the second round and playing well in the second round. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Home court advantage, obviously, if they can hold on to that, only going to help them. But you bring up this idea of experience come playoff time. You're right. Some of their key guys haven't been to or gone very far in the playoffs. Levine never having gone. Um, and and Vucevic never having made it past the first round. Caruso has won an NBA championship. That's extremely helpful. Um, DeMar DeRozan has been to the conference finals before, although, you know, LeBron James is – doormat but he, he has some experience but you're right that the core of this team Lonzo Ball Zach Levine they they don't have much experience any experience between the two of them and then you bring up you know Vucevic with minimal some of these bench guys really haven't gone to the playoffs all very all that much or at all it, it's going to come back to them because the Nets they've all been in the playoffs before the Bucks they've all been they, they've just come off a championship the Heat they've almost all been to the playoffs the Sixers they've almost all been to the playoffs these, these guys know what they're doing. They're veteran teams. They're not going to give you a second uh, to, to rest come playoff time. 
I, I think you're right. I think the Bulls are going to handle the first round, most likely as long as they don't get screwed. Like, you know, say a team gets hurt and their star comes back and they ended up being eight seed, something like that. Or, you know, Boston figures it out, but at the end of the season, they end up being the eight seed, something like that. I don't know. But Chicago has second round exit written all over them. They are a top four team in the East, especially with the Heat and the Sixers kind of being in flux right now. Um, but they're not a fluke by any means. This is a basketball team that is on the rise. Defensively is, is what draws the, the issues. Though. I think they know that. Patrick Williams got hurt at the beginning of the year. Lonzo Ball's been out of the lineup. Um, but to, to their credit, they've done a very good job so far. But I think you're right. You know, pump the brakes on championship aspirations right now. But for, for Bulls fans, I think they're probably just feeling good that they have a team that's likely to make the playoffs for the first time in a while. Not that Jimmy Butler, Rajon Rondo, Dwayne Wade team that, that skimped in on a tiebreaker over the heat. So those are the Bulls doing all right, leading the East right now. All right. I've been waiting for it. You've been waiting for it. Players, teams, teams, and fans that hate this guy have been waiting for it. The highly anticipated return of Clay Thompson finally happened this past Sunday uh, as the Warriors took on Cleveland. Clay Thompson played 20 minutes, put in 17 points, including three three pointers. The Splash Brothers back in action for the first time since Clay's injury in the 2019 NBA Finals. Very, very exciting to see Clay back on the court. Had a ferocious dunk early on in the game. Struggled a little bit out the gate in terms of his shot, as most people could have expected, but started to you know turn it around. He had some good comments about taking 17 shots in 20 minutes at the end of the game. He, you know, you you can tell he was just excited to be back out there. Um, so Clay's back. Wiseman is is coming back right around the corner. Golden State best record in the NBA right now. What could possibly stop this team from getting back to the glory of winning an NBA championship? Injuries, plain and simple. And maybe it's morbid or not, but I'm not talking about Klay Thompson. I, the Warriors team, their core, like with or without Klay Thompson, is primed and poised to win a championship. But if Steph Curry were to get hurt and miss a lot of time, that's something – they want to keep their core intact. Draymond, Poole, uh, you know, even Otto Porter is like chipping in stuff, which is impressive because it's Otto Porter and <laughs> right. forgotten about him as a player. I, it's they're on the right track. The only other thing too, and this is a problem that I feel like is like no NBA team has, but they have so much talent and depth because of these past years with Clay missing time. Steph missing time, Draymond missing time, where they had all these younger players who got minutes and just kind of learned and developed. I mean, Jordan Poole is a great example of that. Juan Descano Anderson this year, uh, Gary Payton the second. Even all Andrew these players have, to an extent. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Wiggins is more of a byproduct of just, for whatever reason, this year like was playing with such a good defensive team that he just like stepped up and kind of like it was a – he just absorbed all this learning and defense. Like, all clicked finally. Whatever that may be, though, you have all this talent. You got to, like, almost find the optimal amount of time to play each player. And, you know, you're not going to keep all those players together come next season. Like, you know that. Because people, once they got the rookie deals, they'll ask for plenty more money. But 
making sure that you play them in an optimal, efficient amount of time. Like if Clay Thompson's not doing well, consider putting in, you know, Jordan Poole, for example. And it's tough, especially as a coach like Steve Kerr. You have to like be able to balance that. But if anyone's going to do it, it's Steve Kerr. No, you're 100% right. That's a very, very important thing to keep an eye on because you're right. There's a lot of talent there. A lot of guys that can help in certain situations and a lot of guys that are going to want to play and prove that they can do it in any situation. So that that is one thing to look at. But the Warriors right now only looking up, uh, like I said, best record in the NBA. Very, very much title aspirations for them. Clay Thompson, very glad to see him back. One final point here in the NBA before we get to the final week of the NFL we talked about John Morant last week, how he could potentially be an MVP candidate, where he ranks among the best of the best point guards in basketball. Um, he and his backcourt mate, though, Desmond Bain, have been putting up sensational stats. Bain is one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year. I think he's, I think he's fourth in three-pointers made currently right now, and he's shooting one of the higher percentages in the league. Ja, we know what Ja's been doing, and the Grizzlies have had success with Ja both in and out of the lineup. Uh, this is a conversation I had with my brothers this morning, and I wanted to bring this up. Could John Morant and Desmond Bain potentially become the next great NBA backcourt? Grizzlies right now, 28-14, fourth in the Western Conference. Remember, Jaws missed a decent portion of that time, but since coming back, they have been on yet another tear. What are your thoughts on the young backcourt duo? Maybe this is my own ignorance, but I have not seen enough of Desmond Bain play. With that being said, you have John Morant, who is bona fide superstar at this point. So as long as Desmond Bain can have, wouldn't say equal development, but be able to hold his own and be able to play at a, a higher level, it doesn't have to be a superstar level by any means, 100%. I'm still holding out hope that Damian Lillard and Tyrese Maxey will be the next great backcourt. One can, one can only hope. But... I don't, it won't be the level of Splash Brothers, but you know, one can hope, especially in Memphis's sake, that they turns into something. Obviously, in a Batman Robin scenario, mm-hmm. it's John Morant, 100%. But you know, John Morant in itself is great. And then you got Desmond Bain, who, if you're John with LeBron, you're going to be pretty good, or you need to be, unless you're Mario Hazonia, and <laughs> just do things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's it could have very much Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum vibes um, where Desmond Bain becomes an offensive stud and borderline all-star, but maybe never quite, you know, breaking that threshold. Whereas Ja is going to become, as I think we all expect, a bona fide how, you know, household name superstar in the NBA, you know, perennial, perennial MVP candidate for years to come. Um, I the, the thing I need to see more of with Bain is his defense. He, you know, the Grizzlies are collectively a very good defensive team, but one-on-one, I, I just haven't paid enough attention to really see what he, you know, what his craft looks like. But when you talk about the Currys and the Clays of the world, they're so good because where Curry isn't the best one-on-one defender, he still makes things happen on defense, steals, turnovers, whatever. Clay, obviously being an excellent one-on-one defender. Jaw is, is a good one-on-one defender. So Bain at the very least needs to be able to match that. But if they want to be, you know, that next tier group, one of them has to be a next tier defender. And I think that's going to lie on, on the shoulders of Desmond Bain to try and figure out because Jaws, you know, the, the has the struggle of having to carry the entire team on his back from the night in and night out. But 
you know, if Bain ends up turning into this other super, you know, not maybe not superstar, but the, you know, the second best player on this team, a, a, a dual backcourt with, you know, that kind of skill, that, that's the dream in the modern NBA to have two guards that can just run it up at any point in time. Those are our thoughts there. Uh, of course, we're going to bring you whatever trade rumors around Ben Simmons keep coming, whatever Lakers uh, players they plan on bringing in that, you know, that they and the Heat are going to fight over on Twitter. And maybe if Desmond Bain and John Moran do shock the world, we will keep you posted on that. But for now, we are going to leave the world of basketball and move into the NFL as the regular season has come to an end this past Saturday and Sunday. All of the games finished. No games on Monday this week. Last one finished up on Sunday night. We are not going to do a full run through of every single game. I have only picked out the games for this week that either had something to do with the number one overall draft pick or had some kind of playoff implication about them just to speed up the show a little bit. So Bears and Giants fans, very, very sorry. We are going to start on Saturday where Kansas City uh, did defeat Denver in maybe a closer game than everybody thought. Uh, it would be 28-24. Kansas City with a win and a Tennessee loss would become number one seed in the AFC. Um, so they did their part there. Denver had already been eliminated from the playoffs. This game got flexed out of the Sunday night slot in order to make room for what was maybe the greatest Sunday night football game of all time, which we, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably watched this game already, but we're going to get to that game in, at, at, towards the end of the review here. Um, but Kansas City doing their part to stay alive for the number one overall seed. The other game on Saturday was what you would consider a national travesty if you're an Eagles fan, as the Dallas Cowboys starters beat up on the Philadelphia Eagles backups 51 to 26. There is this hilarious tweet from Sports Center that Dak Prescott had this great stat line at halftime, and every Eagles fan in the world goes, Nobody's playing. <laughs> Those weren't even backups. Those were people off the street. Literally. First of all, like a good third of the Eagles were on the COVID list for week 18. Plus, you're not going to play any. Like the Eagles, I think, could have gotten to six, but only in the scenario where the Saints were the playoff team. And since that, as you probably know, didn't happen, the Eagles were going to be stuck at seven regardless. So the Eagles played this right, get everybody healthy and and prepare for whoever you're going to have to play in the first round. Yeah, the only scenario, actually, even if they won that game, they still wouldn't have moved up. It was dependent on the 49ers losing and the Saints winning. Ah. So, didn't matter the slightest. So, props to Nick Sirianni for not being a moron about that. Correct. And, uh, yeah, I have I have no qualms with it. I knew it was going to be a bad game when I saw the starting lineup. But if anyone cares about stats or whatnot, Jason Kelsey was in for a single play to get – a, I think it's 121st consecutive start, so that will continue in the next season. It's like Tristan Thompson uh, that one year. He took the tip off and got subbed out. Yep. Devontae Smith uh, broke the Eagles' single-season like rookie receiving record from Deshaun Jackson, which any Eagles fan is more than happy about because Deshaun Jackson has plagued us for the past few years with injuries and pain, but still love him. Oh, yeah. And then – yeah, Gardner Minshew existed, and that's always fun for everyone. Yeah. So Gardner Minshew no probably won't be an Eagle next year. I think teams are going to look into potentially him being like a, a spot starter for a year or a backup for a young guy, something like that. Um, he, he, he did pretty well in his few moments for the Eagles this year. Um, but, but Dallas, much more implications for them. They could have jumped all the way up to two 
were stuck and they, they were at four going into that game. So their seating mattered. They went out, they took care of business, won that game, did what they could at the time, moved into two. We'll get to where they actually are in a moment here, but that was, that was the two games on Saturday, Sunday, everything else happened. We are going to start with probably the least impactful of them all between Cincinnati and Cleveland. Cincinnati had already won the division, already clinched a playoff uh, ticket. Their only wavering factor was if they were going to be the three seed or the four seed, but based off of strength of schedule for the rest of the week, it was looking like almost no matter what they were going to be the four seed. So Joe Burrow did not play in this one who was nursing a, a minor ankle injury. They didn't want to risk anything. Baker Mayfield also didn't play. So a very ugly game between these two teams that Cleveland won 21-16. So with that loss, Cincinnati locked up the four seed. Cleveland had already been eliminated. They have clearly stated that they're going to be bringing back Baker Mayfield as their starting quarterback unless a clear-cut star becomes available. Yeah, those reports came out that there's going to be some look into Baker Mayfield being traded this offseason and they were shut down pretty quickly, which I, I I know you hate Baker Mayfield. I still think you give him one more season. And then that's like, we've talked about this before. I know I'm beating a dead horse, but that's when you start to explore it. it Brown's had a bad year. You, you called it, you be being a hater, of course, <sighs> but I, I still think with a healthy team, there's a lot of cause for, Hey, maybe they have, they return to where they were last year what that includes is COVID not existing. And honestly, Baker Mayfield getting the surgery needs this off season is probably going to help for his labrum. Yeah. I, th- I think the Browns got hit almost worse than any other team by both the injury bug and the COVID bug. Um, just almost never seemed like they were fully healthy throughout the course of the year. Um, but, you know, I'm going to take my, I told the world. So as in stride as I can, because the Cleveland Browns suck, they finished last place in the division and I'm a happy Steelers fan. Nick Chubb had like COVID six times. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Nick, Nick Chubb clearly <laughs> just isn't vaccinated. Doesn't even know what a mask is. It's great. It's excellent. Um, we don't know that. We don't know that. That's literally. I have never considered Nick Chubb to be an intelligent man. But look, that's neither here nor there. Okay. Look, it's in good fun. Um, moving on, the Tennessee Titans. They were the other team. Well, actually, the Tennessee Titans. So actually, this was this was interesting. The Bengals could have risen all the way to the one seed. Uh, potentially based off how tiebreakers went. But with that Chiefs win on Saturday, Chiefs owned the tiebreaker over Cincinnati, so so they were no longer in play for that. Um, so meaning Kansas City won. So Tennessee, the only other team that could prevent the Chiefs from being the number one overall seed and getting that bye week. Tennessee did bout with Houston in week 18, which as you would think would be a nice, easy cakewalk to the number one overall seed. But as you're going to kind of find as a theme in week 18, the bad teams did not want to go away quietly. Houston fought tooth and nail. Davis Mills really came together in the last few weeks of the season as Houston's quarterback. Tennessee did, however, squeak by 28 to 25 to win and clinch the number one seed in the AFC at 12 and five. Derrick Henry is considered very likely to play in their uh, divisional playoff matchup against whoever they end up getting matched up against. Uh, did not get activated this week, will get activated in the coming week to try and get a week of practice in before before hitting the field again. Probably still going to be on a limited snap count, but very, very good news for a Titans team that fought very hard for this seed. And whether or not they're actually the best team in the AFC, they're here 
they earned it. Um, you know, good, good for them. And, and the Chiefs are now going to, you know, have to really try and play and prove that the beginning of the season was, was just a fluke. It was nothing to be concerned about. Yeah, and uh, I think one slight interesting storyline, Tyrod Taylor gets usurped again by another quarterback. Exactly. Uh, this time, I think just unfortunate with injuries and COVID and all that, but Davis Mills, another quarterback where, you know, we'll have to see where he goes. Maybe he takes over the reins for starter again for the Texans. I don't think they'll trade him, but that's another thought where he could, if a team wants a pet project, maybe there's some potential there. The, it's interesting. The Texans did say they're going to try and push to trade Deshaun Watson before the free agent market opens up. God, we're not going to break down into that right now. We've no. listened to our episode from a few months ago. You can, you can hear where we, we think about that. But um, my, my thought was that, you know, unless they are able to, you know, a quarterback falls to them at whatever spot they, they're drafting at and they kind of, you know, they, they really want this guy. They don't have to reach for a quarterback or for whatever reason, you do end up trading Deshaun Watson and get a quarterback in return. That's really the only scenario I see where Davis Mills doesn't become the starter next year. Even if it's a short leash, it's just, he did just well enough where you have so many issues as Houston Texans to focus on. Davis Mills has made quarterback, not the biggest concern right now, build up the offensive line, build up the defense. There will always be quarterbacks available in drafts and free agency. There will always be somebody Davis Mills is not the worst option you could possibly have. I think they're they're gonna at the very least bring him back and let him compete for the starting spot. Um, so that's that for Houston. They had already been eliminated from the number one overall pick. Uh, Tennessee clinching the number one seed, like we mentioned. All right, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. Both of these teams came into the day both still alive for the playoffs. Pittsburgh, a 10% chance to make the playoffs. Baltimore, I think it was a 2% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, you can listen to our last episode for what the hypotheticals for each team that need to make the playoffs were. Obviously, Baltimore needing a lot more help than Pittsburgh, but the winner of this game, or excuse me, the loser of this game was eliminated automatically. Pittsburgh, first of all, one of the ugliest games you're going to see. Pittsburgh's very good at playing in those games. Not a good game, not a, not a highlight real game. Uh, unless you're T.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, did tie Michael Strahan's all-time sack record at 22 and a half. Um, and again, for those haters who say that it's a longer season, T.J. Watt did miss two full games, remind you, so he did it in 15 games. Um, excellent season from him and, and when healthy, the Steelers defense. Uh, Cam Sutton had an incredible interception at the end of regulation in the, in the end zone to force not, to essentially force overtime. And then in overtime, changed hands a little, a couple times, but Pittsburgh was eventually able to drive down and kick a game-winning field goal. Najee had a great run that led up to the Chris Boswell game-winning field goal that kept Pittsburgh alive, knocked Baltimore out, but Pittsburgh needed help. Pittsburgh needed still just one more, two more, two more things to happen after their win. They needed Jacksonville to upset the Indianapolis Colts, and we'll get to the other thing they needed in a little bit here. But first things first, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, Jacksonville 6-0 against the Colts in Jacksonville since 2015, now 7-0 in Jacksonville against the Indianapolis Colts since 2015, excuse me, 26-11, the final score. And I have quite simply one comment for this game. You know what it is. My friends know what it is. My family knows what it is. Everybody knows what this is. 
Carson Wentz is the worst quarterback in the history of the NFL. He had, I think, five turnovers, three interceptions in a must win. You have potentially the MVP in your backfield. You, you have one of the better defenses in the entire league. And this guy still figured out a way to blow it to literally the worst team in football from this year. Let Trevor, he, he didn't impact the defense, but Trevor Lawrence played what was very clearly the best game of his career in what he knew. He knew the situation going in, but Wentz clearly didn't. Wentz had no idea what was at stake because, because if we remember the only time his career ever mattered, he wasn't playing. Nick Foles had taken over because Wentz got hurt. Wentz doesn't know what high pressure means. Wentz also doesn't have a second gear in which he can kick it into. He is, in my opinion, not somebody any team should ever consider letting start ever again. And the greatest first round pick the Eagles ever traded for. Yeah, it was a good day for me. (laughs) I watched the Colts miss the playoffs Carson Owens started enough games where he got a first-round pick and got a better pick because they lost. I, this was – I don't think I ever talked to you about this, but there was a part of, like, you know, looking back on the Eagles Super Bowl run and, you know, you see Nick Foles pull off, you know, divisional round and beat the Falcons. You know, you crush the Vikings and then beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. You know, there's a part of me, like, even – while I was watching that, that just thought, even though Carson Wentz was an MVP caliber quarterback that year and would have won it, that I think he would have choked in the playoffs. And, you know, this is just confirmation for that. It's confirmation bias, but to me, this confirms it, where I really think we would have gotten, you know, gotten our bye, went to the second round, played the Falcons at at home, and would have lost. And I don't know how I'd feel. I'd be even more miserable right now. Right. So – just I don't want to bag on him because you know there's he stayed healthy this year. That was a big concern Ooh, for Carson played. Wentz. Well, <laughs> we were dealing with four games a year for Mr. Wentz, so this is a win in just in that regard. Carson Wentz gets the uh, Cleveland Browns tree for, for me. I'm sorry. That's fine. <laughs> he should. But yeah, no, he he absolutely choked. And you know, like we said with historical stats with the Patriots, like this is why you can never you <laughs> History always repeats itself in football. I don't know why. <laughs> Nowhere else it does. This also has to double as a really good feeling as an Eagles fan because not, not only do the Colts give you an even better pick by missing out on the playoffs, but you, you get to be almost reassured in the decision you guys made. There was so much controversy in firing Doug Peterson and trading Carson Wentz. You bring in Nick Sirianni. You, you commit to Jalen Hurts as the starter. You, you make the playoffs under your new coach with your new quarterback, and you see the quarterback you traded away go to – in most football fans' opinions, a more complete, better team, and they miss the playoffs. I think the Eagle, I think Doug Peterson is still the better coaching option, but Nick Sirianni has done a much better job, especially in the second half of the season. But I think they, despite some of the crap I give Jalen Hurts, made the right decision, picked the right guy, and it has, in a very clear way, paid off. They definitely made the right decision. In terms of long-term success, time will tell. I, Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback, but the way Sirianni uses him, I just I don't think it's a recipe for the long-term success. And that's just me with running quarterbacks. Obviously, in the short term, yeah, we kicked ass, we won. I think in terms of jettisoning Carson Wentz, yeah, that's that's a big W. But 
we'll see how the Eagles do. It's not, I don't think every year we're going to just outdo the Colts. The Colts have a complete team. They need to just figure it out. And when they run it back, I mean, they have Frank Reich, who clearly, well, he hasn't, I don't think he's won a playoff game yet. In fact, I'm pretty sure he hasn't. There's still, like, potential there. You see this inkling of, like, hope and, like, kind of getting smart. And they had a few games this year that they absolutely blew. So the future is bright in Indy. It's just what Carson Wentz shows up. And also you just need Jonathan Taylor to be every – well, yeah, Jonathan Taylor probably going to be the number one overall pick in most people's fantasy drafts next year. Um, 100%. I would like to call out, though, last last bagging bit on the Colts that I did call at the beginning of the year that they were going to miss the playoffs at around a record of eight and nine, and that is exactly what happened. So I'd like to shout myself out. Thank you very much. Um, nine eight, though. Staying, staying – <laughs> whatever, my bad. Close enough. <laughs> staying with the Jacksonville Jaguars for a hot second here because that win – put the number one overall pick in jeopardy. Had they lost that game against the Colts, they would have guaranteed themselves the number one overall pick for a second straight year. Uh, but with the win, they needed to wait for the conclusion of Green Bay and Detroit. Green Bay played, had already clinched the number one overall seed, but they wanted to play their starters in the first half to avoid the two-week bye, kind of having rust on some of the starters. Um, competitive game in the first half. Jordan Love comes in with the backups in the second half and throws two picks in his last two drives. Detroit wins 37-30. to Detroit wins, Jacksonville wins. Due to that tie, that Pittsburgh-Detroit tie that was oh so important come come the end of the season, uh, craps the Lions out of the number one overall pick. The Jaguars will get it two years in a row. And like I said at the top of the show, Aiden Hutchinson, the potential projected number one overall pick right now. Offensive linemen are also being considered. Um, But stay tuned for that. Jacksonville picking first, Detroit picking second. New Orleans had to win and get some help to stay alive. They beat the Falcons 30 to 28. Trevor Simeon came in to replace an injured Taysom Hill partway through the game. So that's that, that was definitely something to note there. However, it ended up not mattering as in the later window, San Francisco was victorious in overtime over the Los Angeles Rams to clinch their playoff spot, punch their ticket 27, 24, the final there. Um, there was this great video after the site. It was a, I think the Rams jumped out to like a 14 nothing lead and Sean McVay's on the field in the end zone, congratulating, doesn't get called for a penalty or anything. And it's the caption of the, all the videos I kept seeing were shit right before it hits the fan or something, something along those lines, as obviously the Rams ended up blowing it. San Francisco able to force overtime. Jawan Jennings and Debo Samuel had absolutely insane finishes to that game. The receivers for the 49ers, absolute stud moments for both of those guys. Uh, en route to leading to the Robbie Gold game-winning field goal on OT. Between the Saints and the 49ers, do you think the better team made the playoffs here? I think the better team made the playoffs here. I was annoyed because I did want the sixth seed, but that was also before I realized that I hadn't gone through Robbie Rosenfeld's list of where the Eagles will fall <laughs> if certain scenarios happen. So I'm okay where we landed. I was rooting for the 49ers to lose. Um the Rams, I hate you in, in the moment because you guys blew a 17-3 halftime lead. This is the first game in Sean McVay's entire career where he has lost a game after leading at halftime, and he lost it in horrific fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, going off that, though, you know, Rams still on the NFC West, and we'll talk about why shortly. But next week, and this will be in the playoffs as well, do you think this loss to a division rival – We'll set them up with a chip on their shoulder that, hey, we're going to just run over the team we're playing. We're not spoiling anything, of course. 
Or do you think it'll be like they're just deflated and they're done? See, I think I, I think for most in most scenarios it would draw out the killer mentality in them, especially if Stafford Stafford got kind of banged up at the end of that game. If he's able to be healthy, I think it would really lead to the to this spirited comeback. Von Miller started to really get into his groove in that game. Uh, Cooper Cup finished what just 18 yards short of the all-time receiving record, 12 yards short, something crazy close. Um, they, they knew they were right there. The issue becomes for me, and what we're about to get to here, who they're playing in that first round matchup, which let, let, let's talk about real fast. Well, the Rams lost, meaning the Cardinals had to lose in order for the Rams to still win the division. That is in fact what happened. Seattle pulled a big upset, 38 to 30 over the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals fall to 11 and six Rams fell to 12 and five Rams won the division. That is the four or five matchup here though. One of two first round division playoff matchups uh, or interdivision playoff matchups. And that that's the issue is where Arizona lost and had a very shaky end to the season. I just feel like they know this Rams team. They've seen them twice, won once, lost once. They're just not, not not quite fully healthy, but they're just barely getting healthy enough to the point where you can start to see the roster as for what it was supposed to be. But it all lies on Kyler Murray. That, that, to me, that, that Rams loss, that Cardinals loss, none of it matters. It all lies on what performance we see out of Kyler Murray. We saw MVP frontrunner Kyler Murray in the first six, seven games of the season. And then we saw injury-prone, unsure of himself, exactly what you projected him to be, Kyler Murray, in the second half of the season. If we see that killer mentality that I had projected him, him becoming, we're going to see a Cardinals win. If we see that sluggish not really into it, not sure of himself mentality, we're going to see them lose. I don't think the Rams really control anything that's going to happen. I think it, I think it's all about Kyler Murray in this one. This will be his first playoff game. Yeah. And this will also either have confirmation bias for what I said at the beginning of the year with Kyler Murray, or we'll just absolutely put it in the grave. So yes, time will tell hundred percent. Final, final thoughts on those Rams, Cardinals, that whole division, essentially. Um, Cooper Cup, like I mentioned, finished just shy of Calvin Johnson's all-time rece- uh, season receiving record. You know what's kind of funny? Matt Stafford is the quarterback for the top two single-season receiving records of all time, Calvin Johnson and Cooper Cup. So to anybody who does not think Matt Stafford is a legit quarterback option, please review the stats. All right, final, final few uh, playoff games, or excuse me, <laughs> regular season games. Um, Tampa Bay, who was still jockeying for position, was able to beat up on the Carolina Panthers 41 to 17, which, based off of the Rams' loss, locked them in as the two seed, meaning that's who your Philadelphia Eagles get to play. Can- uh, Tampa Bay beat the Eagles 30 to 22 on Thursday night earlier in the season. Final games. I kind of went out of order here in terms of how the games actually finished, but the final ones we have to talk about are the AFC East division title between, you know, still, still up for grabs between the Buffalo Bills and the New England Patriots. Bills, a win and in. Patriots needed a win and the Bills lost to the Jets. Let's start with the, actually, neither thing really went the Patriots way, to be honest. First off, the Buffalo Bills handled the New York Jets relatively easily, 27 to 10. Um, which would have automatically clinched them the division anyway, but just for good measure. The Dolphins went 
ate shit on the Patriots, especially defensively. Two defensive touchdowns for the Dolphins uh, en route to a 33-24 victory over the Patriots. Shaky end of the season for the Patriots. They will actually fall to the sixth seed based off of what happened at the end of the craziest Sunday night football game of all time. So we talked about what the Steelers needed to make the playoffs. They needed to win against the Ravens. They needed the Jaguars to upset the Colts. And then they needed the Chargers and the Raiders very simply not to tie, which seems fairly simple, right? Ties are a pretty pretty rare thing to see maybe you see once a year twice if you're if it's a crazy year my god the 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 panic that was flowing through my body throughout that entire throughout this entire sunday essentially but but really throughout the course of that game um I, you know it, it was a 10 nothing lead for the raiders the chargers came storming back tied it up took the lead actually at a point, they were up 26 to 14, I believe. And then, or excuse me, the Raiders were up 26 to 14. Chargers fight all the way back on a fourth and 21. Justin Herbert's able to, able to sling it into the end zone. It's crazy, crazy. First of all, as, as this game is slowly progressing, I am getting more and more texts from my friends asking how I'm doing, asking if I'm you know shitting myself yet. Herbert's able to do this. The game's able goes to overtime, thirty-two to thirty-two. With the score here, um, her, first of all, in re, the end of regulation, Justin Herbert was slinging it. I mean, conversion after conversion, but only on third and fourth down, mind you. Yep, absolutely. Uh, for, first down became first and second down became a formality for the Chargers, whereas the the real business got got done in the back half of each set of downs. But, but drove down the field, were able to force overtime. In overtime, I mean, my, my heart kept skipping beats. Like, honestly, like, I can't even, honestly, most of overtime is a, a true blur to me until the very, very end, where, which, you know, God, this, sorry, this is, this is hard for me to talk about because it was so stressful. But basically the scenario was if one of the two teams wins, the loser goes home and the Steelers go to the playoffs. If the two teams tied, however, the Steelers don't make the playoffs and both of the teams playing made the playoffs. So there was obviously not a spoken understanding, but probably a mental understanding of if we get to the scenario where we can just run out the clock in overtime, let's do it. The Raiders had that, had that very much lined up. They had gotten the ball back off of a Chargers punt, I believe. Um, were driving down the field, had gotten a, a big conversion, to, to keep the sticks moving and we're very much in the position after the two minute warning to let the clock just run out. And on, was it, was it on a second or a third down? The, the. It, so yeah, what happened was the start of our time Raiders get the ball. They march down the field. They end up kicking a field goal. Chargers march down the field with about four minutes left in our time. They also kick a field goal. Raiders have the ball. They're not slowing down. They're trying to like, run and convert but they're also like kind of taking their time there's a point where they have a throw they're probably at like midfield there's just over two minutes and they sort of let the clock run the two minute warning okay fine a little probably nervous for you but yes first down they kind of just run the ball it's a three-yard gain and they're 
they got probably going our 10 yards to be in field goal range. And they're kind of just taking their time. And I could tell. Yeah, I was one of those people texting Robbie, of course, because, you know, I just I love chaos. <laughs> so texting him, second down comes, and they run it again. And three yards, you know. And the clock's, like, still running. And then the Chargers call a timeout. And I text Robbie, I'm like, Brandon Staley may have just saved your season because I think they were trying to run it out. And they called timeout when it was late in the play clock, too. According to Staley, it was their defense didn't look set, so they wanted to fix it. Third down, Josh Jacobs gets probably an eight, nine-yard gain, and they're within field goal range now. And the Raiders let the clock run and call a timeout with three seconds left. There was a point that they were showing Derek Carr next to the ref. And there was a point for – usually you stop it with three seconds. That, that's pretty typical around the NFL. He lets it pass three. And so for just a second, all Steelers nation, hearts skip a beat. And then Derek Carr singles for the timeout with two seconds left. And oh, my – oh, my God. What ends up happening, Daniel Carlson kicks the game-winning field goal. He has not missed at Allegiant Stadium. I think the better ending to that game, and this is like, you know, the extended, you know, extended ending when they released this as a movie, uh, would have been a blocked field goal returned by the Chargers, and then they fumbled out of bounds at the one. That would have been glorious. Um, I, I want to say I was, I was shocked that the Chargers didn't use their second time out to try and ice the kicker. Um, that, that was one thing. True. Um, the other though, that this was probably heartbreaking for all Chargers fans out there. there. There was a video that came out on the field where the players were talking to each other afterwards, where Eckler, Austin Eckler of the Chargers is talking to somebody on the Raiders and you can clearly see his, you know, you can't hear it, but you can clearly see his mouth moving in. And, and what he says is, were you going to kneel it? And you see the Raiders shake his head. Yes. Not his head. Yes. And Eckler just kind of go, he just, oh. like you see it. You see just his spirit leave his body. Like he just Staley fucked up whatever he, whatever it was, whether he didn't think the defense was set, whether he thought they were going to be able to get the ball back and, and win the game on their own, whatever it was that that's going to be talked about from now until the next scenario, you know, that, that that's Pete Carroll throwing on the two yard line until the next one comes. That's one of these inexplicable coaching decisions that we just as fans have no idea how to conceptualize, but as a Steelers fan, I quite enjoyed watching. <laughs> well, all right. Brandon Staley has been scrutinized for some of his calls this season, but that entire game, you could not assume the Raiders were playing for a tie until like the very end when But that that's almost credit to the Raiders where like I think in their minds they were probably the second overtime hit at least, or at least the second the Chargers tied the game. They immediately went into this play for the tie mode, but they hit it to the point where the NFL wasn't going to figure it out. The Chargers weren't going to figure it out. The Steelers weren't going to figure it out. Nobody was going to figure it out. But the Raiders knew what was happening. And then the Chargers messed with that, and they said, cool, change of plan. Steelers are going to the playoffs. Yeah, Josh Jacobs propels the Steelers into the playoffs, literally. Yes. But exciting, awesome ending to the regular season. I, like, I honestly, it echoes, uh, I think it was two years ago, when the 49ers and Seahawks squared off. In the regular season finale, it was, you know, that type of ending. So much fun. I, I know I know it was stressful for you, but at the same time, like, that was a fun, exciting game to watch. Oh, like, like I said at the top of the show, it's the, it's the most excited I've ever gotten for a football game that didn't have a team I cared about. It was 
all day long. It was one of, it was one of the best Sundays for, for football and for sports in general, you're ever going to have, it was just all like from, from start to finish playoff implications going down teams, not knowing what was going to happen. And, and, you know, anxiety and stress filling everybody's minds. It was, it was incredible to watch as a sports fan, truly one of the best days, you know, just in recent memory that I have of just purely enjoying watching, watching a sport for a day. It was, it was incredible, especially because it ended the way I wanted it to. So exactly of how it ended, how this whole playoff race went, let's dive into that now the the actual playoff picture no predictions no nobody left in the hunt this is it starting this weekend let's go to the AFC first so we talked about the Tennessee Titans 12 and 5 they have the first round by they will play the lowest possible seed remaining in the divisional round so the only team they cannot play is the Kansas City Chiefs speaking of said Kansas City Chiefs they draw a matchup against the 9-7 and 1-17 Pittsburgh Steelers. Chiefs destroyed the Pittsburgh Steelers in the regular season this year in Arrowhead. Game will be in Arrowhead yet again. Could very well be Ben Roethlisberger's last career game. Who knows? Maybe, maybe Steelers have a little magic in them. Maybe Patrick Mahomes gets COVID before the game. Who knows? But that, that's matchup number one. That game will occur on Sunday night. We have the three-seeded Buffalo Bills at 11-6 and six getting a divisional matchup in the first round of the playoffs with the 10-7 and seven New England Patriots. Patriots and Bills split this regular season series. So this will be for all the marbles. Who is the best team in the AFC East? Buffalo and New England will be the later, or excuse, yes, the later game on Saturday. Final game in the AFC will be between the four-seeded Cincinnati Bengals and the five-seeded Las Vegas Raiders. Raiders could have they so the way that was going to work if the Raiders lost they missed the playoffs the Raiders tied they were the seven seed and if the Raiders win they move to five which is exactly what happened they get Cincinnati Nate that, that that's to me the most exciting looking of the three AFC matchups in the first round they get the early slot on Saturday so before we move on to the NFC here who do you think are going to win these three games what do you think that second round is going to look like well, do you want to talk about – I think they have early lines out, so we can discuss that. Uh, let's, uh, let's start with what should probably be the, the simplest one to decide between the two-seeded Kansas City Chiefs at 12-5 and five and the seven-seeded Pittsburgh Steelers at 9-7-1. and one. You got it up here. What, uh, what's the spread for this one? Because I think most well, people are thinking Chiefs plus or minus 30 is the way to go. <laughs> I would tend to agree. I'm assuming it won't be that high or else I probably would bet on the Steelers. But there we go. It works. All right. So very high line. It is minus 13 and a half Kansas City Chiefs. I, I hate to admit it, I'd probably go with the Chiefs in this case too. This could also be a game where the Steelers keep like stupidly close, but after what we saw in the regular season, I'd have to go with the Chiefs cover. I'm going to say I think it's very likely we don't see a repeat of what happened in the regular season but that doesn't mean to the degree of a Steelers win I think it just means to the degree of a closer game I that that being said if you're going to pick one of these like more ridiculous double digit spreads the Chiefs are a pretty solid team to go with um yeah and I don't think you can fault anybody for going with the Chiefs in the spread here the yeah the for the spread yeah love my Steelers though if they win God knows how happy I'll be 
Second game, we got Buffalo, New England, division rivalry. Big game for you. You say you might be going to the game. That's exciting. I assume you got Buffalo here. Can't can't imagine you're going to abandon them at this point in the season. No, uh, yeah. So my plan is I haven't bought tickets yet, but I'm planning on going with a few friends, do a bucket list item, which would be to go to a playoff NFL playoff game for you know a team that's it's not the Eagles, but it's a team I definitely support being up here now. Join Bills Mafia. Uh, Bills Mafia is going to come out in full force. Yes. I am a little concerned with history precedence, of course. We've talked about the entire show. The, they split the matchups. Buffalo won in New England. New England won in Buffalo. I need to see what the forecast is. If we have high winds, Buffalo is doomed because they're going to try and throw the ball all over New England. It's going to be cold. It's going to be literally one degree out on Saturday. I just looked. Buffalo is the favorite by four. Assuming winds stay below 10 miles an hour, I'm going to go with Buffalo to win this game. It is going to be close, though. I feel comfortable Buffalo money line, but it's going to be tight. It's going to be a good game. I I agree with you. This is going to be one of the – I think it may be an ugly visual game, but in terms of score – it's going to be very, very close, but I'm, I, I'm with you. I think the Bills are going to take this one. Um, they're, they're just the slightly more complete team. I think Mac Jones just needs a year or two to really get comfortable. Um, but th- this is obviously this, – this experience is obviously only going to help him. Um, but Bu- Buffalo is the more complete team here. I have them traveling to Kansas City next uh, – to you know, in the, in the divisional round. And the final game in the AFC here, the four-seeded Cincinnati Bengals will play host to the five-seeded Las Vegas Raiders. Joe Burrow making his NFL playoff debut. Who you got? This is tough. You got a team of destiny in the Las Vegas Raiders who have been so much this year versus the, the hot new kids in the block Bengals. The current line on the game is minus five and a half Bengals. I think that's accurate. I'm going to have to say the Bengals just because Vegas being a don't, well, retractable dome, and just the fact that it's going to be cold and cincy. I think Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and the Bengals, assuming they can protect Joe Burrow because, you know, they're going to be under duress the entire game. Max Crosby's going to come after him. I'm going to say the Bengals also win, but I think the Raiders will cover. I think it's going to also be a close game. Fair enough. This is where we will differ. I want this to know that this is the least amount of bias I've ever filtered into saying that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to lose a football game. Um, but the Las Vegas Raiders, in my opinion, are going to win. I think that idea of um, just what they've gone through this season is really kicking in right now. And I think that's going to at least, you know, kind of carry over for one more week, if not, if not two more, um, they, they, they looked shaky in that game, but at, at, and at points looked like they had really figured it out, especially going to the well with Josh Jacobs when you really needed it. Max Crosby was applying pressure all night on the quarterback. And this is as good a talented and surprising of a Cincinnati Bengals team. This is, a mediocre at best defense and a very young offense, an offense that I don't know if any of them have actually been to the postseason before, except for maybe a young Joe Mixon at one point. Um, just, just a little too inexperienced in my opinion, home field advantage will play key. That, that's going to be huge for them. This is going to be a very, very close one possession game, but that, that fight the Raiders have that, that 
just desire to keep winning is something that I don't know if this Cincinnati Bengals team has had hammered into their systems yet. I think a loss like this is only going to honestly only going to do a Bengals team good because someone like Joe Burrow, who has put himself in the MVP conversation, who has put himself in the elite quarterback conversation would, would take a loss like this and think, okay, I know what we need to do as a team. I know what I need to do as a player. I know what my offense needs to do to be able to win this game next time. Like I always kind of say with young guys, you got to lose before you can win. Raiders have been in the post in and out of the postseason. I, I think they're going to handle this one. Um, and like I said, I just I really like what they've been about this year. I'm going to keep riding with them. All right, all right. So like I said, Saturday we have Las Vegas and Cincinnati, New England and Buffalo. Sunday is when the NFC games will start, but also we'll have Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Let's move into the NFC here now. Green Bay Packers, like we mentioned, already had locked up that first round by 13 and four tied for the best record in the NFL. They can play anybody but Tampa Bay in the second round. So we will move down to the number two seed where Tampa Bay at 13 and four will get a rematch against the Philadelphia 76ers. Like I said earlier in the season on a Thursday night, the Patriots. Did you say the 76ers? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm killing it right now. The, uh, <laughs> the Buccaneers will get a rematch with the Eagles. Uh, like I said earlier, they, they played on a Thursday night game earlier in the year that the Buccaneers were victorious by an eight-point margin in. Um, so in, before we get into who we think is going to win this game, in terms of who the Eagles got to end, ended up getting to play, was, was this the best or worst case scenario? This, in my opinion, was the best case scenario. Really? Yes. The Rams are a very hit or miss team. I think though defensively the Rams are a very complete team. It just depends like what offense shows up. The Cowboys, while there's the division rival and you have that little extra chip on your shoulder and it is very hard to beat a team three times in the season. I, the Cowboys, I think know a lot about the Eagles. And listen, I, me saying that getting Tom Brady is the most ideal situation is <laughs> sounds idiotic and stupid, but hear me out. You have a very banged up Buccaneers team. Shaquille Barrett is off. I are has been activated, you know, but their secondary is just a mess. They have a good line. I'm would never disparage that their offense. You know, they have Tom Brady, but Fournette's injured. They have Mike Evans who slay will cover the entire game. Godwin's out. Antonio Brown is fell off the face of the earth in terms of football. A lot has been going wrong for the Bucs. I'm not going to say the Eagles will win this game. I refuse to say who I think will win this game. But an eight and a half point spread versus where they played them this season and lost by eight versus where they are now, I'd say Eagles plus eight and a half all day. I appreciate that and I do see that possibility where the Eagles are able to keep this game competitive I will very clearly state the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win this game um I think that the Buccaneers are going to kill the Eagles actually I don't think this is going to be close because I think the worst thing about the Buccaneers team is their secondary and I think the worst thing about the Eagles team is their passing offense um those things don't add up for benefit for for the Eagles benefit um, however, there, there is a real, a real world. The Eagles defense was surprising this year and their, their offense could, could work pretty well. They'll keep it close for, for a point, but I think the Buccaneers will pull away specifically in the second half and not really have to worry too much about this one. Um, where the Eagles are the worst 
team in the playoffs in terms of record. I, I think they have the Steelers beat for actually being a slightly more complete team. But either way, I don't see either of the teams from Pennsylvania faring all too well in their first round matchups. Here's my last optimistic point. The Eagles start off very slow in the first half. The Bucks have started off red hot the entire season. And then the Eagles second half finish very well. And the Bucks come to a screeching halt a lot of times. You could talk about their game in like week seven, week six. You could talk about the Bills Bucks game as another good example. If the Eagles can keep it close at half, I think there's a good shot they could win the game. That's all I'll say. A lot has to go right. They're playing in Tampa. But for a few other things, I like the fact they're not traveling to Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There's a time difference there, travel. Even Dallas, like that's you still travel involved. They're going, you know, two hour plane flight to Tampa. It worked out in the best way possible. I'm not going to tell you the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I think that is like just almost moronic, but I think it'll be a more interesting matchup than people give it credit for. That's all I'll say. Fair enough. Eagles and Tampa Bay will get the first game of the Sunday slate. Moving on between the three-seeded Dallas Cowboys and the six-seeded San Francisco 49ers. Dallas coming off there. I mean, they had won their division long, long ago. San Francisco only clinching their playoff ticket in the last week of the season. We, we give Dallas a lot of crap here, but you do have to give them some credit. They, they had a pretty, pretty good season. But in terms of this game, you know, San, San Francisco was a team that I didn't give a lot of credit at the beginning of the season. And about halfway through when they were really making their playoff push, I was like, oh, I get it. I see it. I think they're going to be a little too tough for the Cowboys to handle. I think they're going to play a little too physical. I, I think Debo Samuel is the guy that can expose Trayvon Diggs for the fraud that he is. And if Jimmy's thumb is helpful and that healthy and their defense is healthy, I don't know what the Cowboys could do. I mean, yes, their offense can be elite, but their offense can also stumble a lot. San Francisco was down 17 to three at halftime and fought all the way back against a division rival against a team that was better than them to win. As long as they don't fall into that or an even worse hole, their physicality is going to fluster the Dallas Cowboys. They're going to get some pressure on Dak Prescott and they're going to make him throw the ball earlier than he wants to. I don't know what the spread here is, but I'm leaning San Francisco right now. It's only three. So people <laughs> kind of are in agreement with you. If I feel the most confident of just betting the under, I think let's assume the 49ers can like, if the 49ers defense can get pressure on Dak Prescott, like it's going to be a rough game for the Cowboys. The Cowboys, any game that they don't play well offensively just is a loss and it turns into a horrible day. Chiefs are a great example of that. Jimmy Garoppolo, though, is a great example of if you took a different quarterback who was better and plugged him into San Francisco, they'd easily be like a Super Bowl threat. And I want to see what Jimmy does. I'm concerned, though, even though Debo Samuel could absolutely expose Trayvon Diggs, you still got Micah Parsons to worry about. You still got Demarcus Lawrence to worry about. You still got uh, Vander Esch. You still got um, Jalen Smith is gone, so ignore him. <laughs> you get the point, though. They, they, they have an improved defense for sure. No, I, I mean, I, I, especially coming from, from you, who obviously begrudgingly talks well about the Cowboys. Um, you know, it, it, it's not something you can discount. The Cowboys have improved 
upon these last few seasons where they keep losing in the playoffs. Um, but I don't know. I just got this feeling about San Francisco. So I'm, I'm going to say San Francisco is going to obviously cover, but also win that game. I'm going to say they're going to cover. I hope we have a situation where they like tie the game up and then you got another one of those Snapchats of a 49ers fan. Like they left Mr. Garoppolo too much time. Right. Right. But who knows? <laughs> so there's, there's San Francisco and Dallas. They slot into the second uh, game in Sunday's slate, obviously, then Pittsburgh and Kansas City being the final game on Sunday. And then the last game of the wild card weekend will be on Monday night between division rivals Arizona Cardinals at the five seed and the four seeded Los Angeles Rams. This has been highly anticipated all year. First of all, who is going to win the division? Then the, the, the Cardinals being the off, off to that hot undefeated start for a long time. Then the Rams making the moves to get Odell, to get Von Miller, to try and make a Super Bowl run. Both these teams more or less had disappointing finishes to the regular season. Super Bowl aspirations aren't exactly what's on the forefront of the mind right now. They're more so just trying to get through this matchup. So for the third time this year, Cardinals or Rams. I got to stick with my gut here. I got to go with the Rams. I think this one will be another exciting game. Let me see the spread. And the spread is, oh God, it's minus four for the Rams. <laughs> I, I got to just stick with the Rams. Rams cover, Rams win. I'm going to pick one last upset. I, had, I do not think the Cardinals are going to win the Super Bowl anymore. That, that has fleeted from my mind. But I have all year been saying that I think that they can do it against this Rams team. I think that's more what they're built for than actually winning a Super Bowl right now. If they stay healthy, and like I mentioned before, if Kyler Murray plays the way he is capable of, not the way he has been playing, they are going to find the success they need and advance. I'm going to say that that is what's going to happen, as I have had unwavering faith in Kyler Murray, so why back down now? Cardinals are going to be victorious in this wild card matchup. That, that's it, folks. So I don't know if I'm allowed to say that illegally, but it's sued by Warner Brothers. What are you going to do? Either way, those are the playoffs match matchups. Las Vegas versus Cincinnati, New England versus Buffalo, Pittsburgh versus Kansas City, Philadelphia versus Tampa Bay, San Francisco versus Dallas and Arizona versus the LA Rams. Let us know what you guys think about our predictions and what you guys think is going to come to pass next weekend. Final bit of information here before we kind of call it a show. The, the firing of the head coaches always happens the Monday after the regular season. Uh, we saw a, a good bunch this year. We saw Vic Vangio get fired from Denver. Mike Zimmer, as expected, got the boot from Minnesota. Matt Nagy, as well expected, got kicked out of Chicago. The big shock of the, the firing Palooza, though, Miami Dolphins fired Brian Flores, who, yes, they had that seven-game losing streak, but then also had, had that big win streak at the end of the season, just coming shy of the playoffs, finishing nine and eight. Um, he, he's going to show up on a lot of teams' radars. He's, he, I, I actually have always liked Brian Flores as a coach. I think this was a terrible mistake by the Miami Dolphins. However, I do think it was pivotal in getting rid of Tua Tagovailoa as their starting quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see what Miami does with their future. Um, but for Flores, what – you know, you know, wide open. Where, what, what do we think is going to happen with this? Yeah, it's shocking they fired Brian Flores. He led them to two, you know, 
positive, not playoff bound seasons, but two seasons where they were above 500. I, from what I have read, it doesn't sound like he was fired for just general incompetency. Like a lot of the coaches on this list, it sounds like it was a power struggle, just disagreement with the GM and owner, which from what I've heard, yeah, the GM's a little bit of a dummy, or maybe it's the owner, but whatever it is, the franchise is in ruin. Brian Flores is a good coach. It, he's going to end at one of these vacancies. I don't think he's going to go to Jacksonville. Denver is an intriguing spot just because, you know, they're young. Yeah. Bears are even an intriguing spot, but I don't think he'll end there, even though he's been interviewed already. If the uh, if the Raiders lose their playoff game, do you think they'll give Flores an interview, or do you think that it's already just going to be their interim guy? I actually think the interim guy will not get it. I think unless he has an absolutely good run, I think Jim Harbaugh is going to get it, or mm, Flores. I think Flores is the smart pick, but you know Jim Harbaugh's been named thrown in there. Yeah, Har- Harbaugh's going to get thrown around as well as Flores. I'd be very surprised. Surprise if Fangio or Nagy get another chance to be the head coach somewhere. Zimmer might get a shot at being a head coach somewhere. I wouldn't be terribly surprised. Maybe we see one year of him being like an offensive or defensive coordinator before he's back in the head coaching spot. But um, I think Zimmer and Fangio could be DCs next yeah. year. Another name that was thrown around, I don't know where he'd go, was Jonathan Gannon, the Eagles defensive coordinator, got interviewed. I you know, I think he's – people may say otherwise. I thought he's done decent, especially losing Brandon Graham within the second game of the yeah, year. Yeah. I, I know they, the um, the the, uh, the Broncos have requested interviews with the Cowboys offensive coordinator and with the Chiefs offensive coordinator as well. And also um, um, Doug Peterson and Jim Caldwell's names have been coming up for Jacksonville, for Houston potentially, for I think Las Vegas. I saw Peterson's name show up. Um Obviously, those think, guys are going to get their names brought back into the mix as well. For Jacksonville, though, I, I, if he wants it, you have to give it to Byron Leftwich yes. just from a pure historical perspective and the success he's had. I think he can do a lot with the offense. Uh, I mean, then you'll have Aiden Hutchinson next year and you know Josh Allen to anchor the defense. So it's you know quite a good core. Right there, yeah. Plus Miles Jack. I could see Peterson doing the Bears. I could see, I could actually see Mike Zimmer going to the Bears. That feels like the ugly decision they would make that would help just yeah. enough to make everybody think it was worth it. Maybe. I, Jim Harbaugh is also another one because he played for Ditka, sure. so maybe he goes back. Uh, the Vikings one is so interesting. I also have one more piece of breaking news. I almost forgot oh, about it. Beautiful. There's been another coach fired. Ooh. Joe Judge, the New York Giants. I am so upset. He did get fired. They they have been saying through the last few weeks that they were going to keep him and keep it. So okay, so that's interesting. So so Giants fired Judge. Do you think that this means they were also lying about committing to Daniel Jones and that they might go after a new quarterback? No, I do think they're going to do that. I really think it was social media where everyone was flaming the Giants. We didn't cover them for good reason because they played Washington was also out, but. They ran a sneak on third and nine, like a full on like knee formation where you have that like triangle and they just like pushed forward because Jake Fromm was in like disgusting <laughs> stuff. And they got flamed the entire weekend because yes. of it. Cause of it. <laughs> so I think that pressure, uh, Gettleman's retiring as well. Like he's, he's out. 
So I think it's just, let's just get rid of everything Clearhouse and go yeah. from there. Don't be surprised if Saquon Barkley's name comes up in some trade rumors, uh, as well as we talked about Christian McCaffrey's name potentially coming up in trade rumors. Um, some of these star running backs on teams that have fallen apart could potentially be, you know, targets for teams looking to rebuild. The Giants could be a team desperately in need of a rebuild, even though they, they didn't draft Saquon all that long ago. Um, hasn't, haven't been able to go anywhere with it. So yeah. Yeah. That, that, that run from, from that third down sneak, that was just disgusting. That was uncompetitive at that point. Um, always good to see the Giants not make the playoffs and not really be in contention for the first pick. However, both the Giants and the Jets will have two top 10 picks this year, which is ridiculous, but kind of insane. Eagles have three first round picks this year. No top 10 picks, but still three first round picks. Always pretty solid. Uh, so, so a lot to look forward to. Like I said earlier, though, we'll get to more draft coverage when it's a little more time appropriate. For now, it's just time to get excited about the playoffs, man. Both the, uh, both the Pennsylvania teams back in the playoffs. That's always exciting. For, for both of us, at least. <laughs> Either way, for if your favorite team is in the playoffs, good luck to you in Wild Card Weekend. And we'll be back next week with the results of these playoff matchups, the new ones. We'll let you know if Ben Simmons, for some reason, got traded. And we're, we're going to, you know, the, the MLB is in flux right now. They're, they're having a meeting on Thursday to kind of see where they're going for. But we haven't really heard any news about what's going on with that. So we may kind of focus mostly on basketball and football for a little while until there's a little more news on, on baseball. But for now, that's where we're at. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys have a fantastic week. Hope you enjoy Clay Thompson playing basketball again. And I hope you don't like the Alabama Crimson Tide. Take all that into account. Have a fantastic week. And we'll see you guys next time. One final thing for anyone who flamed the Eagles last year for not playing their stars in the second half and costing the Giants a playoff spot, that's your problem. <laughs> you had a man do a sneak in the second quarter on third and nine yes. to ten. I rest my case. Take care, everyone.